Hi guys, this is a special series that will span several episodes about one of North America's most notoriously haunted locations, the Blue Ghost Tunnel. If you search online, you will find an enormous amount of information about the tunnel and various YouTube videos documenting ghost hunts. This series will provide accurate information, historic research, and personal accounts dating back to the 1950s. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 2, Episode 12, The Making of a Legend, The Blue Ghost Tunnel. The Niagara region of Ontario, Canada, was beginning to see growth and prosperity in the late 1800s, and in 1871, the Dominion of Parliament authorized the second phase of the Welland Canal to be built to suit large cargo and passenger ships. The work commenced in 1873, and the new route now bypassed its traditional route in the natural river valleys next to St. Catharines. The new canal was aligned on a direct route from Port Dalhousie to Thorold, which necessitated a new rail crossing. The railway would not accept the early plans for a swing bridge over the canal as they anticipated long delays and the potential for danger and accidents, and therefore they insisted that a tunnel be built under the waterway to ensure safe and efficient passage of rail traffic. It was a grand proposition, and many were opposed to the idea, as it would take a great deal of engineering and hard labor. As the Welland Canal was slowly being constructed, it was clear the landscape would need to change significantly. When the land surveyors completed their first task, they came to agreement that an old burial ground next to St. Peter's Anglican Church, as well as the church itself, needed to be moved to accommodate the canal system. Previously, a log-built Lutheran church resided on the consecrated land, and burials as early as 1752 had taken place within the churchyard. As the land was being surveyed and construction crews hired from nearby Slab Town, which is now called Meriden, the cemetery and church were spared, but future plans insisted that the land be used for the canal. Meanwhile, the canal developers and railway companies came to an agreement of where the tunnel would be constructed and work began in the spring of 1875 with loads of Queenston rock being cut and delivered to the construction yard. Several hundred workers labored on the stone cutting and fitting while Irish immigrants numbering near a thousand entrenched the land and tunnel near the area. Teams of horses brought heavy limestone from the Queenstone quarry to the site. There were several serious accidents at the construction site, including three reported deaths. In one report from 1875, a young Irish immigrant, aged 14, was crushed under the weight of the large stones. Other injuries occurred on a daily basis, but none serious enough to stop construction. The tunnel curving on a gentle arc is 665 feet in length, providing a semicircular arc 16 feet wide and 18 feet high. A single track ran its length connecting lines of the Great Western Railway. The railway, now connected with points in the Niagara region, could express cargo and passengers from New York to Toronto and almost all points in between. 
During this time, the Welland Canal construction was completed and several men perished building its walls and reinforced lock system. Many of the injuries and deaths occurred in the Thorold area, within miles of the tunnel. The first train, loaded with dignitaries and engineered by Harry Eastman, ran through the tunnel in February of 1881. Harry Eastman was also the last engineer to blow the whistle and pilot a train through the tunnel. To prevent cows and other grazing animals from entering the tunnel and causing a derailment, a post guard was set up on each side of the tunnel. These men watched the rail, chased away animals, and kept the track clear. Their wages were extremely low, and they were often paid in pints of ale, as well as wages. Amalgamation of the Great Western Railway and the Grand Trunk Railway was approved by the Great Western Railway shareholders in 1882, and the post guards received better pay, as well as uniforms and small shelters which were built on either end of the tunnel. These improvements, however, did not prevent a tragic accident occurring in 1903, just 100 meters shy of the western entrance of the tunnel. At 7.03 a.m., a light mogul train weighing 80 tons collided head-on with the number 4 Express running at full steam. The engines smashed into each other and the cars followed into an entanglement of iron and fire. Both train engineers survived the wreck and only suffered minor injuries. The original newspaper article reads... Bad train wreck. Number 4 Express collides with a light mogul near Meriton Tunnel. Charles Horning, the fireman on the express train, was killed instantly when his body was pinned between the two massive pieces of ironwork, the flaming hot boiler and the tentler. Attempting rescue, his badly mangled body was pulled on by engineers and post guards. However, when they pulled at him, his arms and legs pulled from his body. One train worker commented that Horning's watch still ticked as he held the severed arm in his hands. His body was never fully recovered from the wreck. The fireman for the mogul train, Abraham DeSalt, was smashed into the boiler of the train. He was rushed to hospital only to die of his terrible burns five hours later. Mr. Armstrong worked from the express car that followed the engine of the number five and regained consciousness in the roofless upturned car. Covered in ruined goods, he managed to crawl through the rubble to safety. He recalls that they were given clearance in Meriton by the dispatcher to enter the line and blame the wreck on misinformation, a single track, and poor visibility. The line and the tunnel, however, were continuously used until plans for a double track were developed. The track was returned to its original alignment when the fourth Welland Canal was being constructed. A double-track swing bridge was built in the late 1880s, and the tunnel was used sparingly until the 1930s, when the track was removed altogether. The burial ground, now in disuse by its thorough citizens, was moved to the new Lakeview Cemetery, which is now called the Old Lakeview Cemetery. The land was needed to establish a pond area for excessive water from the canal and in July 1923, Thorold residents were asked to pay and make arrangements for their interned family members to be moved. Only 253 of the 842 bodies interned in the burial ground were actually moved. Families simply could not afford the reinternment, and many graves had no family members to care for them. When excavation and reinterment of the bodies occurred, 
Some corpses were misidentified and some went missing altogether. Adding to the confusion is the fact that some remains were not recoverable and only some body parts and coffins were moved to the new location. According to the superintendent of Lakeview Cemetery, there were only 118 graves full with no record of whom they contained and another possible 72 which may have contained only body parts with no further records. He also stated that a number of the monuments were damaged or destroyed when they were moved to the new location. During construction of the 4th Welland Canal, several more men lost their lives, including 10 during the worst accident in the history of the Welland Canal system. On August 1, 1928, a roar was heard for miles around when, at Lock 6, a large locomotive-powered crane fell into the lock chamber, taking with it 500-ton steel lock gates. In less than a minute, eight men lay dead while two others were dying from massive chest and head wounds. The two seriously injured men were sent to St. Catherine's General Hospital and Homer Construction Hospital, only to die of their terrible wounds two days later. Twenty-two others were seriously wounded and rushed to each of these hospitals. Thirteen would never return to work on the canal. On August 1st, 1930, exactly two years to the day, another accident occurred at Lock 6. And like the previous accident, this one was fatal. Eight men were killed while 20 others were seriously injured. It was rumored that the canal was cursed and some abandoned their positions, refusing to work on its construction and maintenance. In 1912, the steamship Le Canadien suddenly lost power in Lock 22 of the Welland Canal, causing a huge rush of water to hit Lock 21 and flooding the entire area. The tidal wave rushed towards three children who were fishing along the canal. Two of the boys were rescued, but tragically, five-year-old Willie Wallace Tiffany, adopted son of the Tiffany family in Thorold, drowned in the tidal wave. Some believe that the ghosts of the child seen, heard, and felt at the tunnel may be that of Willie. Many, however, believe the spirit is that of a female and not a male, and one wonders why the spirit of Willie would be haunting a tunnel that lies a considerable distance from the location at which he was drowned. In total, the Welland Canal claimed the lives of 107 men and injured thousands of others during its construction. Could the train wreck victims be haunting this tunnel? Or could it be the victims of the Welland Canal construction? What about the forgotten spirits of the cemetery? Could they be the source of the paranormal activity? Russ's goal was to attract as much attention to the tunnel as possible, either for promotional purposes or to obtain a different level of investigation. And he began asking other paranormal groups and individuals to join him on his quest. Hamilton Paranormal, a very active group in the late 1990s and early 2000s, decided to visit the tunnel and, with directions and information about the haunting provided by Russ, they made their way down to the Lord Extra. Previous to their visit, they researched the tunnel, the area, and the historical deaths and tragedies in the area that may have been the essence of the haunting Russ was experiencing. The investigations revealed similar yet not as dramatic encounters with the spirits of the tunnel. Hamilton Paranormal made several visits to the tunnel, all of which produced results in online chatter about the tunnel. 
Throughout the investigations, Hamilton Paranormal presented what they believed was photographic evidence of spirits manifesting before the camera in the form of ectoplasm and orbs. It is unclear if they remain convinced of the authenticity of these photos. However, to this day, other paranormal enthusiasts have taken the photos at face value and still maintain the photographs are proof positive of the hauntings at the tunnel. Others are unconvinced. On Facebook and other social media sites, individuals and groups post these photos and discuss what they see in the mist and seemingly manifested before the camera. What the armchair paranormal investigator may not realize is that these photos can be recreated not only within the tunnel, but in any particular location, haunted or not. And another ghost hunting group and tour operator out of Hamilton decided to visit the tunnel. Here's the article they wrote. Haunted Hamilton says it's haunted. The dark history of the canal and the accidents combined to make this place hauntingly intriguing. Haunted Hamilton was just a baby when a paranormal explorer named Russ made his way to the Meriton Tunnel, which we now know as the Blue Ghost Tunnel. According to the TGHRS, the paranormal group out of Toronto, Russ was given directions to the Screaming Tunnel, but got lost and somehow stumbled his way to Meriton. He would return many times to investigate and take pictures of this historic find. During one of these investigations, he captured a blue ghostly mist, which would give Russ the inspiration for the now-famous name, the Blue Ghost Tunnel. Their reputation started to grow, and Haunted Hamilton wasn't just going to sit back and not be part of it. Investigation nights were set up with our resident psychics and friends from two other paranormal groups. We knew of the train crash, the blue mist, and the reports of a ghost dog that had been seen around. This was intriguing but it was the tunnel's reputation that brought us there for two nighttime investigations. The investigations were quiet and uneventful, with only one experience I personally took part in, the sighting of a ghost dog. We were halfway in when a member of our team noticed something walking back and forth at the entrance. A few of us, including me, ran as fast as we could to get closer, prove the ghost dog was real, and maybe get a picture. And as we got close enough to confirm, we saw nothing. Whatever it was had vanished. This was the report that Haunted Hamilton, a ghost tour company out of Hamilton, Ontario, formulated. They claimed that the Blue Ghost Tunnel was haunted by a ghost dog, similar to the one Russ had wrote about in his online journals. The droves of online visitors to Haunted Hamilton's popular website read about the ghost dog. And for the crowd hanging out at Haunted Hamilton... It was popular belief that the blue ghost was in fact a blue ghost dog. The rumor of a ghost dog weaved its way into the fabric of the blue ghost tunnel once again thanks to the imagination of Russ and the hype of Haunted Hamilton. Later, Haunted Hamilton convinced viewers of Creepy Canada episode that the blue ghost tunnel was extremely haunted and that they had witnessed paranormal activity. Recently, however... Haunted Hamilton came to the conclusion that their previous report of witnessing a ghost dog and their experiences while filming it with Creepy Canada, well, were not anything. In fact, Daniel Camerlato, founder and operator of Haunted Hamilton, says the tunnel isn't haunted after all, and they knew it all along. Here is a recent statement and article written by Daniel of Haunted Hamilton concerning the Blue Ghost Tunnel. 
my personal comments. Dear Paranormal Enthusiast, Ignore the Blue Ghost Tunnel by Daniel Carmelado. So why do we shun the tunnel today at a time when so many people are talking about it? First off, we are unable to guarantee the safety of those going. The tunnel is falling apart. The space has always been flooded because of the supporting stones violently leaking from above. The overall tunnel may be sinking into the ground, and it's possible the structure could collapse. The previous statement is a personal viewpoint, something we would never expect the landowners to admit due to liability concerns. However, before and after pictures would prove something's not right. Along with the unsafe tunnel, there's the dark, steep, and rocky descent and the abandoned canal lock located alongside of the main path. The lock is an over 50 foot drop and has little to no safety fences. Not to mention the reports of a nasty element hanging around the area at night. People have been threatened and many cars vandalized while sitting in the makeshift parking lot. And if that wasn't enough, we find it hard to believe that this place is truly haunted. After the many years of random investigations, this location lacks results. As with many spots, there are orbs, strange sounds, even a ghost dog, but overall the results are insubstantial. If we believe energy, experience, and tragedy is what creates ghostly activity, then the Blue Ghost Tunnel would rank a mere 2 out of 10. One train accident causing the on-site death of one man and the eventual death of another many kilometers away. A few other tragedies which didn't actually happen in the tunnel with only 39 years of actual use would not put this high up on the paranormal scale. There is a submerged cemetery on the flooded end of the tunnel. We at Haunted Hamilton feel this is a terrible disrespect and is a huge reason for building up this historical landmark, but is no reason for ghosts. The image of the Blue Ghost Tunnel made it perfect for legends and fictitious stories which has gotten out of hand. This has caused the legitimate and respected history and ghost hunters to run for the hills. The tunnel has become a location for drinking, partying, and scaring girls, but not investigating. Every history lover should see the Meriton Tunnel because this is a space frozen in history which may not be around forever. But if you go at night, you're missing the best parts. Go during the day instead and see the tunnel in all its glory. Take in the abandoned canal lock with the rusted out ford at the bottom. Hey, how did the hell did it get there? And the calming hike down the rocky hill, ending at an amazing monument to Canadian engineering. You will not miss anything ghostly because if it hasn't happened in over a decade, chances are it's not starting with you. Save yourself the hassle, the danger, the damaged car, and possibly damaged friends, and go when the sun shines. After all, if there are ghosts at the Blue Ghost Tunnel, they'll find you. <laughs> Surprise, now Haunted Hamilton says the tunnel isn't haunted. First, Daniel begins by telling the reader that the tunnel is sinking. In over 130 years, the limestone rocks have yet to sink into the earth, one millimeter. This is a complete fabrication, making no sense, and one wonders where Daniel received his structural engineering degree. Next, he explains that all the investigations conducted by the likes of Hamilton Paranormal, the Niagara Amateur Ghost Seekers, 
Niagara Amateur Spirit Seekers, the Shadows Projects, and dozens upon dozens of other reputable paranormal groups and individuals were simply random and produced no results. Again, this is pure nonsense. The investigations were not random, and it appears that the tunnel often produces results. He then ranks the Blue Ghost Tunnel on a paranormal scale of 2 out of 10. A pretty low score for some place he once touted as 700 feet of hell on earth, and describing on internet forums as scary and very haunted. Then he goes on to describe the submerged cemetery on the flooded end. This clearly shows that Haunted Hamilton did not do any significant research and simply believed online rumors, taking them in as fact. Let us rewind a bit and be witness to one of Haunted Hamilton's previous encounters with the Blue Ghost Tunnel. 700 feet of hell on earth. During the early 2000s, producers of Creepy Canada, a new Canadian paranormal show, began researching possible haunted locations across Canada. In the first season, they had exhausted locations in Ontario that would allow filming and were looking for new opportunities. The show featured recreations of haunted encounters at various locations with deplorable F-grade acting, false histories, and script-written hauntings. The show was scoffed at by paranormal groups as misleading and exploitive. However, the producers of Creepy Canada had read about the Blue Ghost Tunnel and proceeded to ask paranormal researchers and groups to be involved in the filming of the episode. Individuals and groups with a shred of dignity, not only to themselves but to the field of the study, turned down the offer because they did not want to be associated with the show. However, a ghost tour operating group who posed as paranormal researchers named Haunted Hamilton took the bait and were showcased on the Blue Ghost Tunnel episode. Here is the original episode. In St. Catharines, Ontario, paranormal researchers and outdoor enthusiasts alike have discovered a previously unexplored haunted location. This 700-foot passage is known as the Blue Ghost Tunnel. Though the tunnel is off the beaten path, those who venture there are rarely disappointed. A hiker who had heard stories about the mysterious tunnel decided to investigate for herself. As she made her way through the dark interior, she heard strange moaning sounds. She told herself it was the wind. Then she saw a misty blue apparition moving in front of her. The shape disappeared, and at that same moment, inexplicably, her flashlight died. She knew that she had just encountered the spirit of the Blue Ghost Tunnel. Serious paranormal investigators are willing to travel into the darkest depths and over the most challenging terrain to solve many of life's unexplained mysteries. This passion led one group on a quest into the terrifying interior of the legendary Blue Ghost Tunnel in St. Catharines, Ontario. 
where a 700-foot passageway brought them face to face with the unknown. When you go into the tunnel, it's, you're in a different world, and it's kind of, um, you get eerie feelings of being watched, uh, maybe looked over. People have seen uh, strange operations in the tunnel, sounds of footsteps, uh, whispering, which I've personally heard inside the tunnel, photographs that are strange and sometimes unexplainable. In 1903, there was a fatal rail collision at the tunnel um, at the West End. Two trains collided head-on and both engineers were killed. Uh, the train wreck may have um, very well something to do with the hauntings here. Another hiker came upon the tunnel by chance. He saw a blue spectral figure whirling at the entrance. It moved inside and vanished. Curious, he followed. Suddenly, a strange light appeared, coming directly at the hiker. He swore that for a brief moment, he saw a ghostly train pass through the dark tunnel. He quickly turned to leave, wishing he had heeded the warning of the mysterious blue apparition. A paranormal research group volunteered to perform an investigation of the Blue Ghost Tunnel. They brought two experienced psychic mediums and an array of night vision cameras and electronic detection equipment. The mediums sensed the spirits of the two engineers who had died although they were not told about the train wreck prior to entering. Do you get anything about an accident? I do get the sensation of those two men. One is bleeding on his face, the other one has blood on his outfit, his toes. Well, I just had my third flashlight. Uh, the bulb just burned out. Um, I've been having problems with my infrared thermostat tonight for some reason. I've had two camera batteries uh, go dead on me, and that doesn't usually happen. Uh, supposedly spirits drain power from batteries, although at this point in time I've never experienced that. This is my first night using this little talisman. When I come in here with it though, it gives a very negative reaction. It's spinning counterclockwise. The pendulum works similar to what Kate was using um, with her talisman. It picks up the energy um, the, of the spirit. It's definitely not a happy energy. I asked if the spirits here were happy, and it's saying no, they're not happy. There's a sadness definitely in the air. I was just standing there by myself, because a lot of the time it's easier to get a reading on the EMF meter, and your light was turned off, and then we started hearing the screaming. I'm guessing there are kids out there playing, but then something else started, a long, high-pitched cry. And turning around here, you said you want to go in further into the tunnel, and I'm just getting a great big no. Stuff is going to start happening as soon as we go down there. They're not happy that we're here this late. There's a banging that we've been hearing down at the end of the tunnel. Um, and it had stopped for a while until we started talking about approaching this area again. Um, as we got closer, it started to bang again, almost as if it was telling us, yes, come down this way. 
there's something else down here. It is not human. There's some kind of energy that comes over here at night. Like I said, this is its spot. Comes rushing through the tunnel. I see this big black thing, ugly looking face just flying through the tunnel. Screaming, running right at us. Coming into this place, um, I don't think any of us expect it to be like this. So much stuff has been happening tonight and um, a lot of our equipment's going wonky. Um, Kate and Michelle are feeling a lot of weird things in here. Um, I personally am not psychic and I'm feeling uncomfortable in here. Um, it's just really odd. Though the group did not make physical contact with the spirits, the medium's psychic impressions and the unusual photographs taken that night offer compelling evidence of paranormal activity in the Blue Ghost Tunnel. Whether the entities are the ghosts of those victims killed in the railway disaster or some metaphysical energy left by this tragic crash is unknown. Perhaps future investigations will shed some light on this unexplained mystery. After the original air dates and years of reruns of Creepy Canada, Haunted Hamilton and those involved were chastised for the obvious fakery and the amateur investigation at the Blue Ghost Tunnel. Haunted Hamilton admitted that the timestamps of the video were changed by producers to enhance the dramatization of the episode. More glaring and eye-opening is that they admitted that the evidence was not real. Haunted Hamilton puts the blame on crafty producers, while the production staff of Creepy Canada have said that they received all the photographic evidence from Haunted Hamilton. Jeff Ostrander, the episode's historian, also was questioned about his involvement, and he said that the camera operator simply put the camera on him and asked him questions, and that he either forgot the information or did not know the correct information because he was nervous on camera. He also said that he did not know he was going to be labeled as a historian until he viewed the episode. According to the show's producers, both of the psychics who were involved in the episode were told of the history of the tunnel by Haunted Hamilton and also by the production staff prior to and during filming. In addition, a simple internet search would have yielded hundreds of results about the tunnel's history and haunted legends, and both psychics were active on the internet and within paranormal message forums, where the hot topic was at the time, the Blue Ghost Tunnel. Later, Niagara News reporter Peter Sehacek interviewed the Seaway Authority about the trespassing and the dangers of the tunnel. The Seaway Authority put direct blame on both Haunted Hamilton and Creepy Canada for exposing the tunnel to a mass audience and increasing the likelihood of serious injury and even death. Both Haunted Hamilton and Creepy Canada deny that they had trespassed on private property and that they are responsible for exposing the tunnel on national television. Regardless, countless viewers have endured the episode and the misinformation and the psychic impressions and this is feeding in part of the legend. Including in the backpedaling article of Haunted Hamilton we read previously are further lies and misinformation, feeding more and more into the fabric of the Blue Ghost Tunnel legend. After the airing of the Blue Ghost Tunnel segment on Creepy Canada, the tunnel became a tourist attraction with carloads of teens, families with small children, and investigators as far away as Germany exploring the tunnel on a nightly basis. 
However, there are two people who shaped the Blue Ghost Tunnel legend more than any other visiting the tunnel in the early days. The first was a self-appointed ghost hunter who frequented haunted locations across Niagara, but concentrated on Port Colborne and Fort Erie in Ontario. I met Mark, the ghost hunter, at the tunnel one night where he was performing a satanic ritual. I've never witnessed a satanic ritual, but I got the impression that things weren't going the way they were supposed to when I saw a few dollar store candles and a few upside down crucifixes along with a man in his 50s sporting a scruffy untrimmed beard and a flashlight chanting or rather mumbling magic words. After his ritual, nothing happened. Apparently this ghost hunter was opening a portal to hell that he located under two feet of water near the east end of the tunnel. According to the ghost hunter, there was an evil in the tunnel and the only way to free the spirits was to open a portal and send the demons back to hell. He didn't say if it worked out. The ritual ended without a flash, a bang, or any acknowledgement. I kept my distance, not from the presence of the portal, but from the sorcerer. The same ghost hunter began telling his tales of evil inside the tunnel online, on various message forums, and spent days and nights at the tunnel trying to recruit members to his now defunct yet. One person he did recruit was a Burlington, Ontario resident named Chad Irish. Chad's interest in the paranormal began when he attended a ghost walk conducted by Haunted Hamilton. Chad's interest in the paranormal grew, and he soon suspected that Haunted Hamilton was simply a business and not seriously interested in the paranormal at all. Feeling betrayed, he looked to other sites on the internet and befriended an investigating team called Hamilton Paranormal. Here, he discovered the Blue Ghost Tunnel and quickly became obsessed with it. Driving daily from Burlington to Thorold, he would remain at the tunnel for hours, sometimes alone, and other times with fellow investigators or people he befriended by chance at the tunnel. At first, his discoveries were consistent with others visiting the tunnel. Weird sounds, misty photos with orbs, etc., each visit was the same as the last, so he began creating tales about the tunnel, the history, and the experiences. Disillusioned with Haunted Hamilton and the lack of investigating from Hamilton Paranormal, Chad began his own paranormal website. He named it Haunted Tunnels and featured the Blue Ghost Tunnel with updates on a daily basis. He said he befriended the original discoverer of the tunnel, Russ. However, Russ says he has no idea who Chad was or is. Chad revealed that he explored the tunnel during the early days with Russ, and again, Russ's own accounts do not mention Chad whatsoever. Chad also suggested that Russ had burned his Ouija board and ran away to Florida to hide from the ghosts of the tunnel, which apparently seduced and then raped him just before he made his escape to the Holy Land of Tampa Bay. Chad's focus was on the tunnel, but he needed to expand. Soon, he pretended to discover other tunnels around the Blue Ghost Tunnel. He named one the Devil's Tunnel and gave directions to a drainage tunnel near the Blue Ghost Tunnel. He concocted a haunting and placed it on the internet for gullible readers. Quote, In 1978, a hooker by the name of Alice was doing her thing in the tunnel screwing a GM worker, no doubt after a long shift. Well, she didn't get paid, 
And then the guy sliced her neck open with a knife and stabbed her over 50 times. Both Alice and the dead guy haunt the tunnel. There is still a mattress in the tunnel that she used. Warning, don't touch it. Next, (laughs) he discovered caves near the Lakeview Cemetery. One was the Creepy Cave, while another was christened the Bat Cave. The caves had once been accessible, but they had been filled in for safety reasons long before Chad knew of their existence. He kept their direction private on his website because, well, the caves didn't really exist. He also suggested that he found tunnels under the Welland Canal that are haunted as well. There are no other tunnels under the Welland Canal that were accessible, but Chad knew that in order to keep an audience, he would need to keep adding haunted tunnels with ghost stories associated with them. These stories sometimes make their way into the fabric of the legend of the Blue Ghost Tunnel. Growing in popularity, he needed to form a team. You've heard the expression before, there is no I in team. Well, in Chad's world, there He had some lovely, well-endowed women on his team, along with a host of smart-looking men, but none of them actually did exist. I'm sure they did somewhere, as Chad lifted the images from the internet and proceeded to make team member profiles for each. Well, many fell ill or were away on business or even vacationing each time he had made a visit to the tunnel. When members of the Niagara Amateur Ghost Seekers questioned and exposed the non-existent haunted locations and fictitious haunted tunnel team members, Chad was furious and defaced the Blue Ghost Tunnel in an attempt to anger the Niagara Amateur Ghost Seeker members. Chad decided to change his online alias several times and was known as Scully, Ghost Chad, and Daddy Longlegs. The last one he thought would be a hit with the ladies. Chad's interest in the paranormal faded, and he took down his website in 2006. He has never made an attempt to visit the tunnel again. Mark, the ghost hunter, however, is still lurking in the Niagara region, and is spreading even more ridiculous lies. This time, he is concentrating on a historical cemetery in Thorold, and visiting it with a crowbar that glows in an attempt to banish the town of a vampire. I'm not joking. I can't make this shit up. In the summer of 2005, a sealed plastic Ziploc bag was discovered at the mouth of the tunnel, containing a VHS tape labeled number two. Several other tapes sealed in plastic bags and numbered were discovered. The curious viewer would see a short clip containing visuals of the tunnel the Welland Canal, rusty objects, dead animals, and a man in a cheesy Halloween mask. The effect was to produce a tape similar to the one found in the movie, The Ring. The majority of viewers found it amateurish. Chad Irish was the person who actually found the tapes, and many speculated it was he who was responsible for placing and ultimately finding his own tapes. This was during the period that Chad was engrossed with the tunnel and visited daily and nightly for months. He was spellbound by the tapes and made extra trips to the tunnel simply, he said, for the chance of finding another tape. Several pages of his website were now dedicated to the tapes themselves, and he developed his own hypothesis about the tapes. They were evil, he said, and the viewer would physically get sick or even die after viewing them. He cautioned his website visitors about the tapes 
and proceeded to amass a collection of plastic baggies and VHS tapes. When the interest of the tapes faded, Chad devised another attention-grabbing scheme. He made his own videotape and had to discover it himself, after no one had noticed it sitting on one of the strengthening beams in the tunnel. In the months that passed, yet another video was made by an anonymous filmmaker and mocked the whole videotape controversy. It contained images of the tunnel, as well as Thomas the Tank Engine cheerfully smiling as he tooted his whistle. Speculation about the origin of this jeering video was centered on a local graphic artist and paranormal enthusiast known as Toadfuss. The original producer of the first video and Chad's distribution created yet another layer of the urban legend. Even though most people dismiss the tapes as a cheap practical joke and Chad as an eccentric ghost hunter, the tapes still pop up in conversations as pieces of the story. They found these old movies there of a man killing a girl. They found parts of a snuff film, but the rest of the film was destroyed by water. The guy who made the film was murdered, etc. People read or hear about the videotapes and somehow, somewhere along the way, decide it is historic truth. Of course, each story, like branches of a tree, continuously grow new branches and leaves. The legend grows and grows. The original creator of the video series, James Strohan, was recently exposed by Kevin Valancourt, founder of the Niagara Amateur Ghost Seekers. During the time in which Chad was infatuated with the tapes, James posted many entries onto the paranormal discussions boards about the videotapes, marketing them, and pretending not to know who did them. He lied about his involvement with the tapes, and his credibility was tarnished. When asked recently about the video and its purpose, James Strohan provided this statement. I made the film in 2004. Hold all copyrights, original footage, soundtrack, etc., etc. If you have any follow-up questions, talk to my lawyer at Wilson Apatowski. I do not consent to my film's usage in part or whole in any project, compilation, or anything. The statement in itself reveals the character of the man behind the cheesy Halloween mask in the video. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you or someone you know will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, Albert Ray, Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Madia Cupelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian von Ziegler. <laughs>